go. Is that too loud? Is it good? It's throwing me. Can you hear me? Oh, good. You might not want to later. Just kidding. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years since Susan Boyle shocked the audience and really the world with the YouTube that went viral when she appeared on Britain's Got Talent and auditioned with the song, I Dreamed a Dream. And I say shocked because when this 47-year-old woman came out dressed in her sort of grandmother dress and grandmother shoes, her wiry hair was slightly graying, heavy eyebrows, very little makeup, a little bit on the heavy side. No one expected very much out of Susan. At least one of the judges seemed to say, why are you wasting my time? And the, the camera panned the audience. And as you looked around the audience, you saw people sniggering and, and smirking and, and rolling their eyes. And I think everybody in the audience believed that Susan was going to be the untalented talent to kind of break up the show. But then Susan began to sing. And suddenly the smirks turned into expressions of amazement. And instead of eye-rolling, People started chill bumping all over the auditorium. And the guy backstage with the mic whispered, you didn't expect that, did you? And by the time Susan had finished singing her song, the entire audience was on their feet cheering wildly for Susan Boyle. One judge said that Susan's performance was the biggest wake-up call ever. Now why? Why was everyone so shocked? Why was her performance a wake-up call? Because people's senses deceived them. They didn't believe that anyone who looked like Susan looked could sing like Susan sang. Think of what the world would have missed if Susan hadn't shown up and forced us to get beyond the way things appear. Our passage this morning is a wake-up call to us. It's a challenge that goes out to you and to me this morning for us to get beyond the way things appear. Because if we can get to that place, we'll find important and meaningful and satisfying and life-changing opportunities that we get to share with the Lord for changing ourselves and for changing others. Scripture tells us this, that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And that dimension that God sees, that beyond the outward appearance dimension, that's what we need to see. It's in that place where we find real life and and meaningful life and purpose for our lives. You and I, as believers in Christ, we, we have this privilege of not being limited to our senses, particularly what we see through faith in Christ. We have an opportunity and a privilege of connecting with God to see beyond, to see better, in order that you and I might make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake. And that's my hope. Is that your hope, that we'll make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake? You and I then must make this connection. We must seek to see how God sees. Toward the end, I want us to look in the Old Testament this morning in the book of Joshua chapter 9. If you're using a pew Bible in front of you, you'll find that on page 184. 
If you're using your own Bible, please take that out and turn to Joshua chapter 9. And when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to hear read together the word of the living God. Joshua chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the living God. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country and in the lowland, and all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn-out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? And where do you come from? And they said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard a report of him and all he did in Egypt. He did in the two, to the two kings, the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Astaroth. So, all, so our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We're your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here's our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it's dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they've burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of the provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask now for eyes to see uh, beyond these words to uh, your truth, the spiritual reality that's contained in them. We pray, Spirit of God, that as we come to your word, uh, you would open up our senses and inspire them through the power of your, your spirit so that we see truth and hear truth, and so that we are eager to apply the truth we hear this morning to our lives. We pray, Lord, that in us and through us, we, you, would make a difference in our world, the world in which you've placed us for Jesus' sake. That's our hope. That's our goal. We pray that you would do do it in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In order for you and for me to see how God sees, there are, there are three acts, three acts that you and I must do. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. And the first act is that we have to push back on our propensities. We, we have to push back on our propensities. Look in verse 14. 
Because I read that entire passage to get to this verse. It's the crux of the whole passage. We read there that the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. Now, if you happen to be using the ESV study Bible, the commentary under this verse says this, that this verse represents a rare instance, a rare instance of explicit commentary by the narrator. In other words, the narrator of of the book of Joshua doesn't waste time on meaningless commentary. He rarely adds commentary, but in this case, he adds commentary so that you and I, as a people of God, would wake up so that we would listen, so we would not miss what he has to say here, because this verse saves us from ourselves and our propensities, propensities that you and I have even when we love the Lord with all of our hearts, and we need to push back on those propensities. And what is the biggest one of our propensities? It is that we too easily trust our senses, especially what we see. We assume that what we see is all there is. And that's what Joshua and the men of Israel did in this passage. They made a decision. They made a very bad decision because they only considered and then trusted completely in what they saw. Worn out sacks, worn out wineskins, worn out sandals, worn out clothes, and some crumbly bread. See? Worn out. These men must have come from a long distance. They must not be a threat to us. Where do we sign? Joshua's faith was in what he saw before his eyes. But Scripture clearly tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Reality is more than what we see with our eyes. There's a spiritual component to everything, a God perspective on everything. And that perspective is what God looks at and what God sees while your eyes and my eyes are looking at the outward and the physical. Our propensity is to forget about that spiritual dimension or to dismiss it as of lesser importance than what we see. And if we don't push back against that propensity, then we are deceived into believing, we're really deceived into believing that we can figure things out all on our own with just the facts, with just our reason, with just the appearance, without consulting the Lord. That never ends well. Never. And it didn't end well for Joshua. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. The serpent was talking to Eve, trying to convince Eve to to disobey God and to eat from the tree from which the Lord said, don't eat from that tree. And Eve says to the servant, well, God says you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So what did Eve do next? She looked at the tree. There it was. And she took it in, all of it, with her eyes. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes 
and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Adam and Eve trusted their senses and made a bad decision. How different the outcome would have been to this story if they would have just sought the counsel of the Lord. Lord, the serpent has said these things, things that sound possible, and the tree, well, Lord, it's so beautiful. It looks as if it can do what he says it will do, but Lord, we seek your counsel. What should we say? What should we do? But that's not what happened. They gave into their senses and disobeyed God. It's been our propensity ever since, yours and mine. We're just the same. To trust our eyes, to trust our senses, to not consult the Lord. The Apostle John writes in his first letter, chapter 2, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. You and I cannot depend on our senses. They too easily lead us to worldly places instead of to the dimensions of God. And so we've got to push back on this propensity so that we can see how God sees. That's our first act. Our second act is this. If we're to see how God sees then we've got to remember that our life is a battle and we have to fight. Remember our life is a battle and that we have to fight. The passage in Genesis 3 from which we just read, it's so important. Not only because it highlights the folly of of being led by our senses, but also because it highlights the spiritual conflict in which human beings, you and I, are engaged always. A battle is always raging. Do you know that? It never stops. A battle between good and evil, a battle between God and Satan, ongoing all the time because Satan continues to thrash about. I hope you believe that. Adam and Eve lost their battle because they could not, because they they trusted their senses above the Word of God. And so we could call it really the oldest trick in the book. The one that Satan uses to distract us from the Lord. The trick worked on Joshua. Look in verse 15. Based on what he saw, Joshua made peace with the Gibeonites and made a covenant with them to let them live. Now, if you read that and say, big deal, so what? One group of people, Joshua made a compact with them, covenant with them, decided to let them live. If we say, what's the big deal, then we don't understand the battle. And that's our propensity, to forget that we are always involved in a spiritual battle. But listen, God has a plan. And the promised land was a vital part of that plan. He said to Abraham in Genesis 12, Now go from your country, from your father's house, to the land, this promised land, that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, God's plan is to plant and preserve a people 
in the promised land. And that through this planted, preserved people in the promised land, he would send his son, Jesus, the Messiah, so that the world, all of the world, would be blessed through him. Now that's God's plan. That's a beautiful plan. Do you think that's a beautiful plan? Do you? A plan of love and mercy and grace. A plan that has to be carried out. And so he commands his people, God does in Deuteronomy 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you and when the Lord your God gives them over to you to defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them. See, it was not Joshua's job to negotiate. Joshua's job was to obey and carry out the plan of God. But guess what? Joshua, at least for a moment, forgot about the battle. The physical one and the spiritual one. The enemy, Satan, wanted him to forget. The enemy of God never ceases to thwart the plans of God. It's always his goal, always his attempt to thwart the plans of God. And the enemy knows the evil of the people living in the promised land. He knows their idolatry. He knows their debauchery. He knows how they sacrifice their own children into the fire for the gods they worship. He knows how they twist and pervert the good plan that God purposes for humanity. And he knows how they turn it into something ugly. If God's people, then, will just make covenants with these kind of people, with these nations, instead of driving them out of the promised land, then Satan knows how quickly God's people will become just like the people already living in the land. How quickly they'll be tempted to indulge the flesh and bow down to their gods. So making treaties and covenants then becomes the perfect way to pervert God's people and to prevent God's plan and to prevent the coming of the Savior to the world. But Joshua was too busy looking at crumbly bread to see how important the real battle was. And so instead of obeying God, he negotiated. I wonder if Joshua and the men with him wanted to be deceived because they didn't want to fight. Look in verse 7. It says, perhaps... You live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? They were already suspicious. And their suspicion should have driven them to consult the Lord, but it did not. Sometimes I think that you and I don't consult the Lord because we don't want to fight. What He tells us when we seek Him through prayer and through His Word will most certainly bring you and me into conflict. God's truth, God's will, God's plan is going to put us right in the midst of a battle. And we're going to find that it's very difficult to live by, much less espouse God's truth and our culture. Because see, it's very difficult in our culture to hear what God says, what God says, what God says about creation of life, about marriage, about gender, about roles, 
about priorities, about the use of time, about the use of our resources. It's going to feel like a battle when we go up against our culture's view of all these things and we are going to feel like we are going to get beaten up. And so it's easier not to inquire of the Lord, isn't it? To not know His will, to not know His plan, ignorance is bliss. We find it easier to negotiate and compromise with our culture. Well, good luck with that. And I don't mean that flippantly. You and I, through compromising and negotiating, are not going to end up any better than Joshua did. But listen, we have to believe this. When you and I inquire of the Lord, when He speaks to us, He'll also strengthen us. He'll strengthen us for the battle. Strengthen us to stand in and for His truth. We consult so that we do not negotiate. We're not negotiators. We are warriors. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of all. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. That's God's word, not my word. And it reveals what's going on beyond what you and I can see. The battle is real, but we're well equipped. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You and I have to remember that life, all of life, is a battle. Nothing in your life is neutral. Whatever happens in your life is either moving you toward Jesus or it's moving you away from Him. Everything in your life is either moving you toward advancing the kingdom of God or it's moving you toward advancing your own kingdom. And so you and I have to inquire of the Lord. Ask Him to reveal the battle to us. Ask Him to show us what's at stake in every decision we make, how the kingdom of God will be impacted. And then we fight. We fight the very real battle against our enemy so that through us the gospel of Christ is advanced. And that brings me... Finally, to the third act that we must do. In order to see how God sees, so that we're not deceived by appearances, and so that we get in the battle to win it, if we will not be defeated in showing the world that they will find blessing only in Christ, then we must use the gifts that He has given to us. That's our third act. We've got to use the gifts that the Lord has given to us. Look in verse 14. Already we've read it. They, it says that they did, not count, they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Here's how the Hebrew literally reads. From the mouth 
of God they did not seek. From the mouth of God they did not seek. Most versions translate mouth as counsel, and of course we know that's what the meaning is here. But that translation misses for me a little bit of the gift that God has given to us. Because to me the word counsel, the word counseling, can seem a bit cold or clinical, but the word mouth communicates something very personal. It communicates relationship. It communicates a God who speaks to His people. And that is God's gift to us. And I hope we never cease to be amazed that you and I have a God who speaks to us. Are you amazed by that? Do you realize that nobody else has it? Pastor David was preaching to us last Sunday from Psalm 115, and we read about the idols and the gods of the other nations. And it says, They are made of silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They cannot speak. But our God, He can, and He does, and He speaks to us. What a gift. Think about the gifts that God had given to Joshua when God called Moses to come up on the mountain where he would receive the Ten Commandments. Scripture tells us, So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and went up to the mountain of God. I don't know if Joshua went all the way up the mountain or not, or if he only went part way. But I know this, that Joshua was closest to Moses when Moses was closest to the Lord. What a gift. Did he hear the voice of God speaking to Moses? I don't know. But I do know that most, Joshua also assisted Moses at the tent of meeting, where the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Did Joshua overhear the conversations? I don't know. But what a gift to be there. Numbers 27 says that Joshua was a man in whom the Spirit is. God gave him his Spirit. Deuteronomy 34 says that Joshua was full of the Spirit of wisdom because Moses laid hands on him. Another gift. And finally, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, we read that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Now we have God speaking directly to him. What a gift. God has given Joshua so many gifts. He's given him the privilege of seeing and hearing and experiencing His goodness and His glory and His power. He's given Joshua everything he needs to see beyond what is, beyond appearances, to what could be. Because of these gifts, Joshua should have had high hopes for consulting with God. He should have expected that God would open his mouth and speak to him and show him beyond what he could not see. And that's what makes this verse before us so tragic. From the mouth of God, he did not ask. Joshua did not ask counsel from the Lord. Here's what I want. I want this tragedy to end right here with Joshua. You know, this tragedy doesn't have to continue in us. Do you realize that God has gifted you and me as well? You know that, don't you? Would you like to hear some of those gifts? Say yes, because I'm going to tell you anyway. Hebrews 1.1, long ago, 
At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. God has spoken to us. He has communicated to us through Jesus. Is that good news? Do you consider that a gift of God? What high hopes you and I then should have of seeking counsel of the Lord. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What a gift Jesus has given to us, this intimate relationship with him. We have here his own invitation to come, to inquire, to ask of him. Why should it be said of any of us? Why should it be said of any of us? But from the mouth of the Lord, they did not ask. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Actually, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's on page 953. In the Pew Bible, page 953, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What a gift we're going to read about here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. What a gift! that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Now listen to this. But we have the mind of Christ. Can you believe it? God's gift to us, we have the mind of Christ. Through the power of the Spirit, we can understand the, the things that God has given to us. There's a dimension beyond human reality, a dimension beyond human wisdom. And God has given us the ability to understand on that level, which means that you and I, you and I, because of God's gift to us, we see the world rightly. And let me just tell you this. I am not ashamed in the least to stand in this pulpit and say in this politically correct world that there is a right way to see and a right way to live in this world. And guess what? It's God's way. We have the opportunity because of the gifts that God has given us to see through the eyes of the Lord and to know the mind of the one who created it. Because at the end of the day, the one who created all that is gets to say, this is the way, walk in it. You name the topic. I don't care. God gets to tell us how to think about it. But we only know his perspective if we inquire of the Lord. And that's our privilege, to have the mind of Christ. We're not limited by the facts in front of us to moldy bread. 
worn out sandals. We get to go to God to show us, ask Him, what's beyond that? What's the meaning of the fact? What's the implication of it? We have the mind of Christ, the ability to process like Christ. I don't even know, how do you illustrate it? To, to say it's like your brain got an incredible upgrade. It, it processes now like it could never process before. And so that should drive us to the Scriptures because we find Jesus in the Scriptures. And we get to, to watch Him through His Word. And we get to, to see His actions and they reveal what He thinks. And, and we get to listen to His words and they reveal His thoughts. And we get to look at His emotions and they reveal what's on His mind. We need to know the mind that Christ had because we must think His thoughts after Him. But Christ, because Christ is so good. And He's so loving, and He's so kind, and He's so merciful, and He's so compassionate. Why would you not seek counsel of the Lord? What do you fear? Are you afraid that if you try it, okay, Lord, I'm going to come to you, that He'll fail you? I'm telling you, He will not fail you. I don't know what He'll do, but I know that God always meets with His people. He promises to. When we seek Him, we find Him. And, we find, and when we find Him, we find His will and we find His way. And suddenly we're going to start making a difference in this world for Jesus' sake. Let me tell you, it's not just for yourself, but it's for the world. The world needs for you and for me to have the mind of Christ. The world is lost. It's confused. It's so often hopeless. The world can't see beyond itself. Without Christ, they don't have the ability to. So they need us to show the way. And we show them the way as the Lord shows it to us when we seek His counsel, not about some things, but about all things. And so that makes the seeking worth it. Let's pray together. Lord, how we long to make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake, Lord, it's why you've, you've called us. Our, our chief purpose in life is to glorify you. Our chief purpose, Lord, for being here is to glorify you. And you glorify yourself through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the good news of Jesus. And so, Lord, we want to use that gospel to make a difference. And Lord, in order to do that, we have to see beyond what's in front of our eyes. Lord, we can all list the assumptions we've made about people based on how they look. We've predetermined what their response to the gospel might be. And perhaps, Lord, we've written them off thinking they would never believe. Same thing is true, Lord. We look at hopeless situations and we give up. We don't pray. We don't work. We don't fight because it appears to us that all is lost, Lord, with you. That's never the case. And so forgive us for trusting our senses and being deceived. Lord, we pray too that you would remind us that we truly are in a battle. Lord, we, we think part of life is cruising. Life is never that way, Lord. It's, it's, it's always a battle. Always spiritual reality is going on around us. And always we're either loving you more or loving you less. Advancing your kingdom or advancing our own. And so Lord we pray that you would give us a heart to fight 
to fight for your way, for your will, for your truth. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the gifts. We, we have skipped so quickly or, 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 or read so quickly over these amazing truths, Lord. We didn't even do them honor. Each verse, each word of the verses that describe your gifts to us deserve our time and attention. Lord, we need to go home and ponder what it means to have the mind of Christ and be awed that you give that to us. We need to go home and, and be awed by the fact that we have a God, we know a God, we are connected to a God who loves us enough to speak to us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would set aside time to, to do that very thing, to be awed by you and your good gifts to us. And then, Lord, that we would put them to use so that we might truly make a difference in this world. For Jesus' sake, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.